on this episode of Oh No, Another Chess Podcast. It is true that it's you against one other person, and I think that's how most people view it. But I've noticed that some of my, my most competitive games um, that have been the most interesting to me or like my favorite chess games I've played feel less like a fight and more like a conversation uh, between me and my opponent. And like there's mutual understanding and it, it, do, it feels like a form of communication a lot of the time. Hello and welcome to Ono, another chess podcast. My name is Ono. This week, I had a conversation with YouTuber and Twitch streamer, Sarah Herman. Sarah is a chess tournament veteran and had some really interesting things to say about the wordless interactions and shared experiences we have with our opponents at the board, as well as some pretty insightful stuff about her attempts to disconnect her ego and rating, something we all struggle with. Some of the things she said were honestly so quotable, I felt like getting them printed out and stuck on a poster. Just some really good, well-articulated points. If you want to continue the conversation with me and Sarah, uh, you can join us in a Zoom hangout on Friday the 17th of November at 1800 UTC. That's one week after this podcast comes out. To get the Zoom link, sign up to become a member of my Patreon community. Not only do you get some really cool community perks like the Hangouts, but it also helps to support the show. All right, enough preamble. Here is my interview with Sarah. You're listening to Oh No, Another Chess Podcast. Uh, Sarah, why don't you start by telling me, what do you love most about chess? Oh boy, um... That's a tough question. Um, I think that answer changes uh, often, you know, throughout the years. I probably would have given different answers, but if I had to answer right now, I would say it's, I've said this before, but it's sort of like a form of meditation for me. If we're talking over the board chess, um, I would definitely characterize like online chess as a completely different game but yeah over the board chess is nice because you just you just kind of sit you sit somewhere for six hours plus sometimes with nothing nothing to do but think and and no interruptions it's it's just like it's kind of an interesting experience yeah you're not the first person to give that answer to say that it's like a form of of meditation uh i think a lot of people feel that way about chess yeah yeah, because you, you're not being influenced by anything else that's that you usually are in your life. Like you don't have a phone that's on, you don't have like internet, like no one's talking to you, uh, which is extremely rare uh, nowadays. Like I just feel like there's always something uh, that you have to address. Yeah. Do you feel like you're maybe like on or connected more than other people because you're making content online? I mean, I probably should be, but but no. Uh, I, I tend to just let my my phone die a lot of the time because I feel like there's an excuse to not be on it. Um, I definitely should be more online and connected, but I, I don't enjoy the feeling very much. That's really interesting. Do you, like what do you mean by that? Because I I've just started doing this podcast thing, um, and before that I have my blog on Lee Chess, and. I get quite affected sometimes by some of the weird messages I got <laughs> as feedback to to that. And that made me like for a while, I'd want to just publish a blog and I'd say to my wife, it's fine. Just tell me at the end of the week, how many views it got and how well it did. 
I don't want to know anything else. I don't want to see <laughs> yeah. the numbers. It just stresses me out. Yeah. Uh, do you feel like that, or do you ever get like no? That? I, I I relate to that a lot. Like especially with with when I upload YouTube videos, um, I'll just I'll just turn off my computer um, as soon as I upload it and like walk away. Maybe go outside because it's it is very stressful. Um, I don't really get too many weird comments. I mean. <laughs> More so on Twitch, I get weird comments, but then you just, you know, they probably get banned right away. But uh, no, on YouTube, it's just sometimes it's very hard to tell what will do well and what won't. And, you know, some days I'll upload a video and I'm like, that wasn't a very good video. It's not going to do well. And it gets like five times more views than normal. And it just really catches me off guard. And otherwise, other times I, I work really, really hard on something. And I, I it's like, oh, this is the best thing I've ever made. And it it's it doesn't do very well. Um, but just sitting around like refreshing the tab over and over again to like see if there's new comments or more like it's just it's terrible for you yeah but you do get stuck in that kind of serotonin loop don't you of checking the comments checking the views it's easy to yes yeah I I, yeah I definitely struggled with that Uh, like I say less so now but only because I've deliberately put systems in place and I think you're yeah you sense that you're doing the same thing just turn it off and don't look yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, that's actually one of the reasons I started doing the podcast was because I really like interviewing people and I'd interview people for the blog and it would take me about 20 times longer to write an interview piece than it would anything else. I put my mm-hmm. heart and soul into it. It took me like a month, hours, hours of work. And then just nobody nobody read it as much as my normal stuff. Just was like got half as many views. Yeah. And you're like, why am I putting in all this effort? So... Uh, this is this is my effort to uh, circumvent that. I just have to record it. I don't then need to write for hours and hours afterwards. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, if it's a passion project, it probably doesn't hurt as much when it doesn't do well. In my experience, like because you just enjoy doing it, but still, still doesn't feel good to put effort in, and you know. So is is chess uh, still very much a passion project for you, or is this your career now? Um. Interesting. I, I mean, giving doing chess lessons is and and doing Twitch. Those are my main sources of income. So I guess you could call it a career. But I, I don't. It's kind of interesting. I don't even really see it that way. Um, there's just so many aspects of it that are all different parts of my life. So I don't really look at it as look at it as a job because I do very much enjoy playing chess and I enjoy doing lessons and I enjoy doing Twitch. Um, I just happen to make money from it. So it's kind of best of, of both situations. Um, I would say I'm definitely more invested in my own chess lately than I had been in a long time. Uh, but I think doing lessons maybe helped with that because teaching other people can kind of, I don't know, it makes you feel like you actually understand something if you can teach it to someone else. So that's been really helpful to me to start doing that. That's great. That's So how long have you, uh, well, you said that kind of got you back into chess. Why don't you maybe tell everyone, what's your chess story? Did you start playing as a kid? Where are you at now? Um, I started playing when I was a kid, yes. My, I, my first reading was in the 400s. I, I'd like to pull it up just so I'm accurate here. <laughs> yeah, my first rating was 467. That was in 2010. So I was I was uh 
seven or eight years old. And um, for a while, I wasn't like my brother played chess and he was really into it. So I would go to tournaments that um, with him because it's just something fun to do with the family. And then I like I made a friend there and then it was just about going to see my friend for many years. And I've played in uh, around 500 events, wow. um, which I feel like is a lot like a lot of people. I don't know. I've, I basically got better just by playing, which I think is, you know, terrible strategy because it takes way too much time. Um, but then again, I wasn't trying to get better. I just eventually, you know, over the years, I just started gaining rating points because if you just do something enough, you know, you'll get better at it. But around the time I was close to hitting 2000, I I kind of started to care care about the numbers a little bit and so i started to actually study and try and get better um and eventually i did make it to 2000 because of that but i i think that the way i was studying was uh really bad because i was just focused on the numbers and making my rating bigger instead of actually caring about chess um because i still didn't really care about chess i think it was just like an ego thing um which i you know i think a lot of people can relate to but then chess just kind of stopped being fun for me when it was about that. And um, I got very close to quitting a few times because I just didn't enjoy it. And at some point in the last, I, I'm, I'm not even sure when, there was just some weird turning point where I just stopped caring about my rating and I started to have fun again. And I started to actually feel like I was learning and putting in effort and studying just because I wanted to, not because of any other reason. I was just curious, and I I would study whatever I was curious about. And had so you started with Twitch and YouTube when you felt like that enjoyment was coming back? Yeah, well, so I started Twitch when I was um, 15, I think. And it might have been even around that time where I start started to not enjoy chess, Um be because maybe that even fed into the ego thing where I felt like I had maybe a bit of imposter syndrome, actually. I felt like I got lots of comments, you know, it's like, oh, you suck. Like, why are you even streaming? And I was like, it's true. Why? I do suck. So I felt like it, at least if I'm over 2000, you know, expert is a superficial title, I guess, but it's something. Um, so I sort of thought that I had to do it. And I think the reason it took me so long to do it was because I just cared about that. I just cared about being an expert. I think you're right. I think a lot of people relate to that. What do you think it is about chess specifically that that does that to us? Because, uh, you know, uh, I think uh, chess brings out very strong emotions in us. And I'm, yeah. uh, you know, you have a YouTube video, the title of which is Chess Can Be Devastating, where you go through a pretty painful loss. Uh, and so, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, I also, but I think my most popular blog post to date is called Has Chess Ruined My Life? So, <laughs> you know, what is it about chess that, that does this to us otherwise possibly normal human beings? Well, I think, you know, it's obviously competitive and less so, like a lot of sports, it's like a, it's a team sport, or I guess, I mean, there's like a whole other argument if it's a sport or not, but it's one-on-one, -on -one, like you're just competing against one other person. Um, and it, it, 
there's a number attached, um, which a lot of people can attribute their self-worth to after a while. And I think that you can get addicted to the number going up and it just gets harder and harder and harder to have your number go up. Uh, so then it's just like your self-worth is just tied to this thing that's extremely difficult to improve at. And, uh, yeah, I'm not sure if people who are competitive and maybe have ego problems are drawn to chess or if it brings it out of people. Um, and it, it's probably a little of both because if you're not competitive, I mean, chess just wouldn't be fun for you. Uh, but I don't know. It's... That's an interesting take because I do feel that there's a sort of like, I don't want to call it like anti-improvers movement, but certainly there is, I, I've noticed like a voice within like the so-called adult improver community where they're like, yeah, I don't want to improve. I just want to be an adult enjoyer and I yeah. just want to turn up at the chess club. I don't understand you if that is who you are and you're listening to this <laughs> but, because I like to tie all of my self-worth to my number, but uh mm. I wish I didn't, uh, but I, I feel like it's, for me, it's like a, it's something that's sort of unavoidable, like chess hurts so much. And I feel like I wouldn't be able to go and improve or even improve at all if I didn't have those like painful experiences making me try and get better in some way. It's like a, a motivation in some way. I mean, I think I definitely used to be like that. I, 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 I think I do understand the adult chess enjoyers um, a lot more nowadays because I am in this phase where eventually I realized that, like, I I looked at some people that I knew that spent, you know, 10, 20 years trying to get to master, um, like, in my, my state, and uh, they did it, but they, like, they, they didn't make them happy, like, you know, you just, you think this thing will make you happy and you get it and you're like, why didn't that make me happy? And it's because if you have, in order to get that thing, you have to do things you don't like to do. Um, it's not sustainable. And so you're just putting all this, all this pressure on the result on just saying I'm a master to make you happy, which will just never happen. And I just didn't want that. And I could see myself going down that path of just wasting my life um, chasing this thing and being miserable for 10 years and maybe getting it. But then like, what was, I was, I wasted so much time being unhappy. So I started to just sort of embrace whatever level I'm at. That's, that's fine, but I'm, I'm going to enjoy chess again. And I just feel like, you know, rating gains will come with that. If you are putting effort and actually enjoying learning about chess and chess is actually a really cool thing. I think I think it's interesting because chess is maybe a lot more egocentric than other games that are similar like Go or Shogi. I feel like it's definitely a, a lot more about the person's ego in chess. And then these other games, a lot of the time, it's just more about the game, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. um, and the beauty of the game. And I'm not sure why that is, but... I don't know. I, I've. It took a lot of effort to get to where I am to enjoy chess, but I would. I think I would much rather just stay at the rating I'm at for the rest of my life and enjoy playing chess than to be 
I don't know, like e- even 23, 2400, I wouldn't, if I, if I hated chess, like I wouldn't, what is the point? I just don't understand the point just to say that I'm good. And it's, it's more about other people's uh, feelings towards you as a chess player than your own. Cause I, I am secure in my, my understanding and, you know, I don't really attach my self-worth to my chess rating anymore. That's great. Yeah. But I, it's hard for me to even explain because it was just, it was such a long series of event, events to lead me to that. So it's, I don't even know where to start. It's very difficult. But yeah, there's, there's really no point in playing chess if you're not enjoying it. Yeah. I always say that to my students as well. Like if there's an element of your training that you hate, stop doing it because the thing is just like at school, if you don't like something, if you don't like a particular subject or your teacher's terrible or there's just some some element of resistance and hatred towards it, then don't do it. You know, th- there's another way to... I always feel like in chess, there's, especially now with all these online tools, whatever it is you're trying to learn and not enjoying it, there's another way to learn that exact same thing that maybe won't feel hard to you or feel like a grind. Um, I, I actually caught some of your stream yesterday um, when I was preparing for this interview and you were doing Puzzle Storm, right? Yeah. Uh, at an incredible speed. Very impressive. Yeah. And, and, you know, I always, like I, I get people to I get my students to do like fast tactics on Chessable, but that can feel torturous after a while. You're like, I need to do 20 minutes every day and you're repeating the same puzzles. And I'm like, well, then stop doing that and do Puzzle Storm for a week and try and beat your high score for a week. And inevitably, like swapping between those two and maybe a couple of other things brings a bit of joy back, right? Or at least less of the grind out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I even said during that stream something about because people were always like, Puzzle Storm is not a way to get better at chess, you know, like you shouldn't be doing that. You should be doing this, this, and this. And it's like, I'm not, this is just to be clear, this is not me trying to get better at chess. So I'm playing Puzzle Storm because I enjoy Puzzle Storm and it's fun. It's like how I relax. So, like, yes, there are better things I could be doing, but it's better than doing nothing. Right. And if you're going to sit down and actually do that because you enjoy it, of course it's better. Yeah. Like you said, yeah. there's, yeah. Because, I mean, hard work is obviously maybe the most important thing to get better at something. But if there's no passion, it it just won't work. You're never going to get to, I don't know, a high level. Like, who who do we know who's like elite at whatever it is, like chess, anything else, who who just doesn't enjoy what they do? Like, it just doesn't happen. You have to have some enjoyment of it. That's a great point. Yeah. And circling back to the other aspect of why chess brings out these emotions in us, I think you said something that I've been thinking about for a while that uh, nobody has mentioned before when I bring this up, which is that it's an individual sport, right? Well, sport, mm-hmm. if you can call it a sport, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but I think there's, I think when you look at like, I know like Andy Murray is, a tennis player I grew up watching mostly because he's Scottish and uh, but he is really into boxing and I think there's a lot of the this like attraction when you're in a sort of individual pursuit to look at other individual sports because there is so much crossover in terms of the psychology more than anything else boxing and tennis I think are pretty similar I think tennis and chess are pretty similar um, 
it, just in the way that it's you against an, an individual opponent and you're just solely responsible. You're carrying everything on your shoulders. There's no teammates. There's mm-hmm. no, uh, yeah, there's no luck either, <laughs> I think. I mean, I would argue yeah, that yeah. maybe sometimes there's a little bit of sometimes. an element of luck in chess. But uh, yeah, generally it's solely your responsibility. Every decision you make is yours. And That's a good point. And it is true that it's you against one other person. And I think that's how most people view it. But I've noticed that some of my my most competitive games um, that have been the most interesting to me or like my favorite chess games I've played feel less like a fight and more like a conversation uh, between me and my opponent. And like there's mutual understanding and it it, do- it feels like a form of communication a lot of the time. Um because it's, I don't know, the pieces interact with each other in a way that influences the position overall. And it's not just like, I have my pieces on my side of the board, you have your pieces, and we're just throwing punches. It's it's more it's more like going on a long walk with another person and, and having a conversation that no one else is a part of. And you just, you can never really have someone else experience what that long walk was like, except for your opponent. I mean, you can do a post-mortem and you can explain to people what you were thinking, but you and your opponent are the only ones who experienced it. That is absolutely beautiful and so so <laughs> relatable. I really <laughs> love the way you put that. Very eloquent. Um, yeah, I, I think <laughs> sure, yeah. I, I am someone who has played, you know, I was like a Queen's Gambit convert and uh, lived in the middle of nowhere and played online forever. And so I'm really just starting to get into over the board chess now I'm getting to go to a chess club every week and play an over the board game and I've never felt that idea that it was a communication I felt more satisfaction this sense that winning felt more meaningful in a game that wasn't just like you know tactical knockout and there there was more interesting nuanced things Mm. going on but I've never felt that sense that you're sitting down with your opponent and occasionally you'll look at each other you maybe even smile at each other in certain situations where Mm -hmm. you're both like well we both know what's going on here but we're all you know um yeah it's just i just love that and as you say there is nobody who can experience the game like you and your opponent right you you can explain Mm -hmm. it as much as you want but there's so so much depth to it that they will just never understand because you didn't play that game you didn't sit with me and my thoughts and i also feel like there's almost like a story to each game as well absolutely it's it's like like i play I'm, i'm thinking of a specific game but uh it's you can tell if your opponent is has thought about what you have thought about based on how long they're thinking after every move you can tell what variations they went down like based on the amount of time they spend what move they choose to play and it's it's almost like they there's like if there's an obvious idea but somehow it doesn't work and i had to spend 20 minutes deciding if it didn't work um like Obviously, you can tell if your opponent was looking at that same line if they think for 20 minutes as well and then play something else. Uh, so it's kind of cool because you can't just believe your opponent. You have to like hear what they have to say about the positions. Like, okay, I mean, clearly there's something else here. Let me see what my opponent thought. Um, and you either agree with them or you don't. And then, you know, time will tell who was right. But in, in body language shifts as well, like you can tell their their mood, 
I mean, some people are, you know, better at hiding that than others, but uh, I'm definitely not. Do you feel like there is value in hiding your emotions at the board? Yeah, I think so. I think it's, or maybe not even hiding, but just acting confident no matter what, I think is incredibly valuable. Um, Because if you're just like sitting like at the board, like kind of hunched, hunched over the whole time, and your opponent's standing up the whole time, like over you, even if, you know, that doesn't reflect the position, even if you're the one maybe on the offense, it can still make you feel a certain way, like subconsciously maybe that someone's towering over you and make you make your decisions a little bit more influenced by like human emotions that have nothing to do with the game. But I do think it's important to, you know, stand up every once in a while and walk around, like drink water. Don't forget to take care of your human needs so that your human emotions don't influence how you play. Yeah. Well, well said. That is actually one thing I never, because I did, uh, I did a podcast, like a solo episode on my like tips or things I thought were really strange and different about going from online to offline chess. Um, one thing I didn't mention was I cannot sit still when I'm playing chess online. Like when I was playing in the Lone Wolf League and, or, you know, whatever I was doing, anytime it, it felt like the game mattered to me, I would hardly ever sit down. I just feel like pacing all the time or like standing, holding the back of my chair. And you just cannot do that as much <laughs> over the board because, you know, you're a poor opponent, but I do like to get up and walk around a lot. And yeah, it's a, uh, I don't know. That's just another thing that's been different for me. Yeah, also the I mean, number of times I have to go to the toilet, like particularly now with all the cheating stuff's going on, I'm like, this guy's going to think I'm cheating. This is a ridiculous number of peas I have taken during this game. I'm just so nervous. <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, also, I mean, you're also probably drinking more water when you're playing chess because yeah. you're you're nervous and you're you're moving around. Your life might be shaking and, and you're 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 almost in like fight or flight mode. So of course you're going to be more on edge and drinking yeah. more water. Um, it's yeah, all, it's I, true. You know, t- taking the conversation away from the toilet. And back okay. to the board sure. again. Uh, I, I do completely agree with you. Like just that, yeah, I was trying to squeeze blood out of a stone in my last over the board game. And this same colored bishop end game where my opponent had two isolated pawns, but I just made him suffer unnecessarily probably for about 40 moves as I tried to configure my, my pieces in a way where I could win one of these pawns and it just wasn't happening. But the yeah the tension and like the communication between us at the board was just you know it was nodding it was like oh yeah no i see you're yeah, yeah. This, is, this is i mean this is a, it's a good idea but <laughs> you know it's like this weird that's my favorite thing when i when i i actually get some sort of verbal response from my opponent um like a game comes to mind i was playing brian wall and i i i don't know if, some people probably know these kind of like known in, in the US. All the characters but, from your bl- from your vlogs, right? Yes, yes. Um, but I like sacrificed a piece or something. And um, you know, at first he was he was not believing it. You could just sort of tell by his body language. But the longer he thought, uh the more uncomfortable you could see him getting. And eventually he's he said like I don't know I don't know if he said anything or if he just grunted. But it's just it's just funny because you can hear like the acceptance in their voice. Like he just grunts and like takes the piece, but you can tell he's like pretty upset about it. 
but he's like he can tell that it, it was a sound sacrifice like that's a good feeling this wasn't your knight takes d5 positional sacrifice was it um, no 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 okay. That, that was, was a the, good one, though. That was the coolest move I have ever seen, I will say. Really? Like, and Yeah, and the way you explained it uh, in your analysis as well was so instructive. Like, you're clearly a very good teacher. It was one of the coolest ways I've seen someone explain the concept of, you know, peace activity. And yeah, it, it got me really excited about that as well. And I went away and like ended up studying it for, you know, wow. a month after that. That's great. That makes me feel really good. Uh I, I was proud of I was proud of that game. I mean, it's not like I was playing anyone, you know, of any uh, like significance rating wise. Like they were a little bit lower rated than me, but it's still just completely outplaying someone is a really really nice feeling, especially when there's a peace sacrifice that's not even about attacking the king. Like it had nothing to do with the king really. But um, yeah, that was a great game. I'm glad you I'm glad you got something out of it. Yeah, a lot. Like I went down a whole, you know, I was, I thought, I wasn't so much I went away and studied. I just went and thought more and more about what you were saying because it was a really interesting way. You explained that someone else had explained this to you as just not, I, I don't, I don't even know if this is how you explained it or if this is where I went with it. So please feel free to correct me. And if people who are listening want to see this game and say there's excellent analysis, then I will put a link to that video in the show notes. Um, but just the idea that you don't like, for example, let's say I'm just centralizing my king in an endgame and it can go on, you know, it can go to F8 or F7 and the difference just seems insignificant. But maybe I have one piece that can use the F7 square. So I'll just put the king on F8 because I'm just giving one piece, one extra square of activity and you don't really know how that's going to influence it. So that was like one way I went with it from your explanation, but it definitely changed the way I thought about chess. Uh, and No, that's cool. Yeah. I, it's, I think that you're, you're talking a little bit about just staying flexible, which is one of, I don't know, a very overlooked concept, especially in like just opening understanding. Um, and move orders and people, you know, when they do a chess world book and they struggle to remember the move order because it all seems the same. Um, usually the best the best thing you can do is stay flexible and keep your options open and play the move that you know you have to play regardless first before you decide where to put your other stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, I think in the opening, that's uh, super important. And then I also think that applies in endgame sometimes where you're like, well, I'm going to put my king here, my knight here, my pawns here. And the order in which you do it in feels insignificant somehow. But uh, yeah, that can be a great way to make the most flexible decision. Yeah, and endgame is like usually the first thing you, you, you do if you don't know what to do is put your king in the center. Um, that's pretty general, so I wouldn't just follow that blindly. But because there's so many other things going on in endgames, but... Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's the problem with chess is anything you learn or teach someone, you're like, and there are, of course, exceptions. <laughs> of course, there's exceptions to everything. <laughs> yeah, chess. that's the, the horrible thing about chess is if only it could be broken down into a series of general rules. And yeah, and yeah. it just can't. Yeah. <laughs> and that makes it, I think, extremely confusing for people who come into the game. Yeah, because you with. teach them a concept and they're like, I was, I just did exactly what you said. I was like, yeah, but this is, this is different. There's like two other things that were in this position that were not in the other one. So, yeah, but that, I didn't that, tell them that. 
but also I can't account for every single possibility uh, when it comes to a concept. Yeah. I don't know uh, like what sort of level you're teaching at, but I think my students get particularly frustrated by this. They're like, yeah, but in the opening, all they did was push pawns. And you're like, well, unfortunately that does not guarantee you victory, right? I think there's a yes. certain feeling in the start. It's like, but well, they break an essential, like, uh, you know, chess principle, whether that's an opening principle or anything else. They're like, now I must win on the next Yes, move. yes, <laughs> it's true. Like, people are like, oh, if the London is bad, then why do I need to forcefully beat it? Like, it's, there should be a way to refute it. It's like, no, the, it's just not, it's not optimal. Um, and they're just causing little problems for themselves. Long term, it's hard to keep dealing with all the problems they're giving themselves. And eventually they can maybe break down and not play perfectly to account for the weird things that they're doing or like Stonewall or, or something. But like you can't, you can't, there's almost nothing you can just force a win against. Um, because if you could, it would not be played ever. So. Yeah. And I think people find that frustrating. It's like, well, you just need to keep playing good moves and eventually these small yeah. things will accumulate. They, they add up, which is why it's, an, it's I think it's so important to have endgame knowledge because a lot of people are afraid to even go into an endgame because they just, it's the unknown and they they think, oh, if I go into an endgame, it's a draw, which is just, it's just not true. I think at some point you said, if you hate studying something, like stop doing it and study something, you know, that you enjoy. And that's true, but there's also... If there's something in chess you hate and you're so uncomfortable with that you avoid it at all costs, that's probably what you should be spending the most time on. Because I think a good way to put it would be we hate what we're afraid of and we fear what we don't understand. So understanding the concept will automatically make you less afraid of it and hate it less. And then all of a sudden, this this part of the game that you're avoiding will be your favorite part of the game if you just spend time doing it. Yeah. Really, and then something really else it. will become your least favorite part and then you work on that. Yeah, that is absolutely brilliant way to put it. I think, um, you know, I, I'd be interested to hear what, well, maybe you can just uh, tell me what is your least favorite part of chess <laughs> right now? Right now it's the opening because I have I don't have any openings, but that's what I'm working on now. I finally decided to actually learn an opening because what I had been doing for you know the last years, I'm just playing kind of random openings and just learning different structures, which I think is great. But you can't uh, long term. It's it's a bad it's bad to not have a main opening that you know well if you're actually trying to gain rating points, which I know I said I don't care about, but I also want to stop losing rating points. Um, even though I think that I've learned a lot more in the last year than I have in the rest of my chess life. Um, because ju just exposing yourself to different structures broadens your understanding of the game, and it'll make you like if you're in a phase where you, you're only doing openings on chess, well, that's the main thing you're doing. Um, I think you think that it's way more important than it really is. And you become like very afraid of getting a position that you haven't seen before. Um, and so you just study your openings as hard as you can. So I'll never have an, I'll never have a position or that I haven't seen before, but that right there is a problem because if you, if you're incapable of just understanding a position you haven't seen, 
because you only understand one structure, the thing you should do is learn more structures so you won't be afraid of it anymore. So that's that's what I was doing the last year. And now I'm at a point where I don't know, like I get bad positions out of the opening all the time, but I still, my results are almost better a lot of the times because I'm just able, my opponents don't know the positions either because I'm not playing theory. And so I'm able to outplay people um, just purely based on the fact that I understand the position better than them, even if it's a bad position for me, if that makes sense. Like it works well against people who just study openings hardcore, but then as soon as they're out of their opening, they don't, they have no idea what to do. And then they, you know, they think they have to win out of the opening every single game. Yeah. I think studying openings is the fastest way to make your rating go up and the slowest way to get better at chess yeah yeah that's exactly what i tell my students it's 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 an artificial way to boost your rating temporarily um and i think you know a lot of coaches might just like suggest certain openings that you know it, like systems for example you you just kind of put your pieces basically they're just teaching you to develop in castle but um your understanding of chess is not getting any better because you're not challenging yourself at all. You just put your pieces in the same squares, no matter what your opponent does and get like an okay position, but never a great one. Yeah, that's actually, yeah, that's uh, it's so true. That's uh, this won't be my next blog post, but the one after that I'm calling is titled tentatively titled system thinking. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, because there's, and it's not even that deep. It's more that, uh, you know, some students are playing the London system with their eyes closed and missing yes. really obvious tactics that they are not missing at any other stage in the game because they're on autopilot. They, they, yeah, they turn their brain off and they, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So I really wanted to talk about uh, chess tournaments because uh, I didn't actually realize you'd played over 500 chess tournaments, but uh, I do now. So clearly a tournament veteran, your vlogs are an amazing introduction for anyone who is looking to play in a chess tournament. Uh, I think you do a great job of capturing, at least in the US, maybe what the the feel or the vibe of a chess tournament is. And I encourage anyone to go and check out those vlogs. They're very funny uh, and yeah, just really entertaining. So why don't you tell us a bit about chess tournaments? How do you choose the tournaments you play in to start with? Uh, well, there, when I lived in Colorado, there there was no choosing. It was, there's a tournament this weekend. You either play in it or you don't get to play chess for months. Um, so kind of just like whenever there was anything to play in, I played in it. And that was that was what I did for, for almost 10 years. Um, chess tournaments like, were always what I looked forward to the most as a kid. Um, like at school, I would just be like, oh, you know, I just, I want to, today is Wednesday, there's, there's a chess club meeting or like this weekend, there's a chess tournament. And like, I just didn't really care about anything else. I just was always looking forward to the next chess tournament. And it, it wasn't even necessarily because I wanted to play chess so bad at that point. Um, I just really enjoyed the social aspect of it um, because I had a lot of friends that I made there and uh, it's it's sort of a, I don't know, um, it's, it's also easier to make friends at chess tournaments, I think, because 
there's already a common interest and there's always something to talk about with your opponent. Like you can always feel that there's a lot of tension before you start the game. Um, and it's like, Oh, like, you know, you can even have this attitude of like, I hate this guy. I'm going to kill this guy. Like, like, you know, just like pure disdain for the person sitting across from you. And then as soon as the game ends, you're like, they're, you're like their best friend. And you're just <laughs> like, let's, let's go look at the game. Like that was so much fun. Um, maybe not so much if you lost in a way that was um, upsetting, but if you can if you can feel that way even after a loss, I mean that's that's it's a really really good thing. Um, but then it's it's just so so natural to talk to someone after you've played a game of chess with them. It goes back to the communication thing, I suppose. Um, but yeah, it was it was just always my favorite. I don't know my favorite thing to do because I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure. Like. Of course, I enjoyed playing chess and I enjoyed winning, but I uh, not enough to actually study ever. So mm-hmm. sure. I don't know so, if that was the answer you were looking for, but yeah, I mean, maybe you could describe a little bit more about the tournament experience, like mm. particularly for someone who hasn't attended a tournament yet. I mean, in the U.S., uh, typically. There's, you know, semi-regular weekend events in your state probably run by, you know, your your state probably has a, like, some sort of chess association um, that's in charge of running most events. But in the U.S., unfortunately, there are hardly ever any FIDE events. Um, And what you're going to get is probably three games of game 90, maybe with a 30-second increment, if you're lucky, um, on Saturday, and then two games on Sunday, that is pretty um, cool. It is. It is. I mean, it's on one hand, it's like, oh, the increment, nice. Like, I get, I get an increment, but also the games are even longer. So you, you could have like a twelve-hour day and then have to wake up at like eight a.m. or, or at like seven a.m. for an eight a.m. round the next day. So a lot of people take buys in the third round uh, just to get some sleep, but. Typically, there's an undersection, maybe one or even two, that you can play in. Um, if you're not comfortable playing the open, or maybe it's an oversection. But they'll put you with people around your strength, and there's going to be individual prizes for each undersection, usually. Um, and it's it's just a good way to get started, is to play in an undersection, I think. Um, but maybe you learn a lot more when you play up that was my strategy for the 10 years that i played in 500 chess tournaments yeah uh, that's uh that's definitely something uh i'm interested in hearing about so you feel like just is it just the playing of the game against someone who is stronger than you or is it the analysis and what they're able to teach you maybe after the game i just think that it's a lot more beneficial to get beat you know as much as you can take from from people who are better than you than to just play people who you're beating constantly like that's not uh it's not very helpful um but if you're if you're losing every single game it's maybe eventually you'll get sick of it and quit but also maybe you'll just start to figure out like why it's happening and you'll notice patterns like oh i lost this game because of this 
And I also lost this game from the same reason. And then you just keep fixing it until eventually, you, you know, it's not an efficient way to do it, but it's how I did it. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if I would recommend it to everyone. I don't know. It's tough because there's no best way to get better at chess. Yeah, if only there was an answer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'm super curious. And so I'd actually love to get your advice on this then, because mm -hmm. I have a choice of chess clubs in my new city uh, mm -hmm. now. And one of them is actually, I think they're the only non-professional team in the European Club Cup. Um, it's a really strong club. I think the average player is rated around 2,000. I have played three rounds now. I have two draws and a loss, but the lowest rated player I've played is 1950-something, FIDE. So <laughs> that's pretty much going to be it for the entire season. Like everyone I'm playing is going to be, you know, a lowest rated, maybe 1,800. So mm -hmm. I don't know whether to go there and I'm probably going to have a negative score there. At least I think so. I have no idea still what my actual over the board strength is because I've never played at that time control yet. Um, but obviously three games is not really enough to um, put any stock in my rating. But there's another club where everyone's rated sort of, you know, the like average club player. I think maybe the strongest player there is maybe like the stronger players there are experts. Um, but everyone's sort of around 15, 1600. The bulk of people are sort of intermediate club level players. And it will be, and there's a much more social atmosphere there. I'll say it's a little bit less serious. Um, what are your thoughts? <laughs> I mean, if it were up to me, I would take the higher rated place any, any time. I mean, if there's an opportunity, cause it, I mean, for me, it's a rare opportunity to play with where there's so many strong players, but maybe it's not the case for you. Um, the thing is, I think it's important to, it's an important skill to be able to play against both. Like if you are able to hang with people who are higher rated than you, I think it is, I think it's true that you sort of match the playing level of the person you're playing with sometimes. Um, like, I think it's a lot easier to play well against someone who's really good than it is against someone who's really bad because you're just on guard the whole time. Um, and I think it's a lot easier to blunder against someone who's weaker. But at the same time, if you're, if you're good at that, but you, you know, you don't know how to beat people who are your rating and lower, um, that there's a big problem there because you can't avoid playing them forever. Um, which is something I learned the hard way because, like I said, I played only, I only, I played up in every single thing I could forever, and then I, you know, whenever I'd have to play someone lower rated, it was like a, a real struggle, and I didn't, I, I, I wouldn't score well against people who were lower rated than me, even though I would score well against people who were higher. So, I mean, my answer is, um, if it's a rare opportunity to play the strong players, do that. But if you're just sort of, if you've been doing that for a long time and you're sick of losing, or not even that, if, if, you, if you just feel like you need to build your, your, uh, your technique in beating weaker players, I would do that. Well, I don't like that answer, Sarah. I mean, I love that answer, but it's very confronting for me, actually, because I think I know, and I actually thought this was a universal thing with all chess players, but I recently found out from speaking to a few other people that it's not. Um, 
I hate playing low-rated players. <laughs> I find yeah. it way harder than playing high-rated players. So I'm definitely drawn to playing in a high-rated club. And I can tell myself, oh yeah, because, you know, stronger competition. Plus, you know, there's a lot of really strong players, masters that I can just speak to after the game. Be like, hey, what would you have done here? Yeah. Uh, and that's nice to have that resource. But yeah, there's maybe an element of kind of what you were saying earlier, where there's an element of chess that you don't like studying if you know you're not so good at it. I think there's definitely a psychological element to chess that I'm not so good at, which is playing lower rated players. I hate it. Mm -hmm. I get way more nervous. Um, yeah. And it I think sounds, it comes down yeah. to the ego thing as well. It sounds like that's probably what you should do then. Um I mean, I can actually play it both, <laughs> so I don't really know what, right. why I'm, I'm feeling like I need to make a decision. I can yeah, go to both. They're on different nights of the week, uh, you know, as long as my wife doesn't mind me just disappearing for, you know, two evenings a week. Uh, fine. Right. Yeah. I mean, I obviously I would go to both <laughs> if you asked me, but, you know. And you have your vlogs, of course. What inspired you to start making the vlogs of the tournaments? Um. Honestly, I just sort of consume that type of content on youtube and i was already making analysis videos and recaps of my games from tournaments and people seem to really like those especially when i gave a bunch of context about what was happening um and uh eventually i started streaming my over the board games like i would have a camera on my game and a dgt board and people doing commentary um and basically the only thing I had to do was just fill in the gaps, like film a few things in between rounds and the vlog was already done. So I was like, why not, why not just try it? Why not just go for it? I think it was really scary because uh, a very annoying concept is that in order to get good at something, you have to be really bad at it first. Um, and I, that's a, that's a terrifying concept to me. Um but I, I, I kind of just force myself to like, if, if I suck at this, like, I'm never going to be good at making vlogs if I don't ever, I have to be bad at it first. So I, I just sort of went for it and decided to just, just, just do it because it was something I really wanted to do. And if people don't like it, that's fine. Like, at least I tried. Um, and I think I've gotten a lot better at it since then. And they're like my favorite things to make. The last one I made was definitely. I don't know. It, it's like my most uh, prized accomplishment. Um, it's like 45 minutes long, but still. Uh, and I'm. it's, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm really glad that I didn't just not do it because I was afraid of being bad at it. Um, yeah, me too, because they're great. And as you say, they're long as well, but they're like little movies that like you get, it's, you know, you create yeah. a really good narrative around them and you, it's easy to kind of get sucked into the whole story of the tournament. I love it. They're great. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because, um, I, I don't know. I, cause it's, there's that fear of being cringe, you know, as they say. And it's one of those things that like, if you don't do it well, like it could be like really hard to watch. Um, so I just, I just really tried to commit to it. And I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you enjoy them. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're so, so good. Yeah. It's clear from the vlogs that you have a really great sense of humor as well. Um, you know, you make me laugh in almost every video of yours that I watch. Do you think that having a good sense of possibly self-deprecating humor is important <laughs> as a chess player? 
Yeah, I mean, you have to be able to make fun of yourself and acknowledge your mistakes and in a way that's not just devastating to you and your idea of yourself. Like, it's okay to make blunders and make mistakes and have really, really dumb thoughts as long as you learn from them. Um, it doesn't help to just beat yourself up about it constantly, which is was my method, of, you know, several years ago. But just laughing about it is, I think, a, a much better way to go. Yeah, no, for sure. I think, and yeah, I, I don't know. It, I, there's something, one thing you said in one of the analysis of your video that just hit me so hard because I find it so relatable, which is I feel very confident as a chess coach and, you know, my students give me nice feedback and, you know, not to like self-promote or anything like that. And just mm -hmm. saying like that is m my experience when I am a coach, but when I am sitting at the board, and I play a bad game or a bad move, I just start to question my entire viability as a creator, as a coach. And there was one thing you said in one of your videos where you're like, I have the worst light squared bishop in the history of the universe. <laughs> and it's just <laughs> like, and you know, and you were talking about all those emotions like going through. Yeah. You. I found that very, very relatable. I thought maybe I think I remember I said my student was watching and I was afraid that my student would drop me, my chess coach would drop me. And that my whole life was going to fall apart because my bishop was so bad. And that's really <laughs> how it feels. And it it sounds silly when you say it out loud, but you can't say it out loud when you're playing. No, of course. But yeah, it's, um, yeah, that's, that, I thought that was very funny because I definitely felt that way myself. Like, I hope no one ever sees this game. They can't find it. <laughs> yeah, and that's true, but it's, it's so empowering, like having a really, really terrible game and then just like showing everyone. Um, and being like, yeah, like, look, look how stupid this was. Um, don't, don't do this. Um, people, people definitely appreciate when you share your, your losses and your really, really low moments and not just show your, your best moments. Um, so that's, that was really, really hard for me to do, but it's another thing that's, you know, it's only, um, improved my life and, and, and maybe the integrity of my analysis because I am not afraid to show when I do something really bad. Yeah, that definitely comes across. I think uh, your your vlogs are definitely very honest and I know that you just show all of your games, not just the good ones, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I should write a book like my most spectacular blunders or something just to get it out of my system. No, that's, that's a great idea. I think, uh, I don't know if you know uh, Chess Doofus, um, Dennis, National Master Dennis Norman, he made a Lee Chess study and he also made um, like videos following up on it of just like every blunder he's ever made and an explanation. And it's 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 some of the best content, I think, chess content that's ever been produced. Because um, I can't I can't believe he kept every single one, but he it, yeah, he made he made a compilation of all his worst blunders. That's great. And there is literally no other way to improve. If you can't yes. look in the face of your own worst moves and try and understand, because that's, I think that's the unifying thing that you're speaking to. Like everyone loves it when you share this because we are, nobody is immune to this. And mm -hmm. it's, it's almost funny because we, we know the mistakes we make are mistakes almost immediately after we play them. And if mm -hmm. not immediately, then, you know, it's clear to us in analysis that was terrible. Uh, so it's not really about what you did. It's more about why you did it. And if you're not able to stare those mistakes in the face and understand why, 
you know, what were you thinking? Not what were you thinking, you idiot? Like, what were you actually thinking? Yeah, what, what made me come to this conclusion that this would be a good thing to do? Right. And then, what would make me come to a different conclusion? Like, what would be a different way to think about this? Sarah, do you have any general advice for adult improvers trying to get better at chess? Instead of trying to make it about you and improving and making your number bigger um, and getting better at something and getting better than other people, you should just be trying to understand chess more. And that's that's the main that's the only thing you can really do. Um, and by understand, I mean just just how it works, like how how the, the pieces all you know connect with each other. It, it it it's I think it's um almost a form of art if you really look at it that way. Um, and, and yes, it's competitive, but I don't think that it should really be so competitive. I think it should be something that can be enjoyed and admired um, for what it is, rather than just making it about who who can beat people and who you're better than improving yourself. Like that's I don't think that's really fulfilling or fun for anyone in the long term. Um, I think I, I noticed that people... I would I would look around and I would I would you know like this person's really good at chess and they hate it, this person is like okay at chess and they love it. Who would I rather be? And I so I started talking to these people who just really enjoyed chess even though they weren't really um, maybe necessarily as great, but like they just enjoyed chess and they just enjoyed learning things. And I just I just think that's a better way to be. And these these players were not weak, obviously, but you know they. <laughs> They didn't quit chess when they hit 2200. They would keep going. Um, so I don't know if any of that was coherent or not, or if I just rambled. But oh. No, I think like a lot of the things you've said in this episode, it uh, was very well put. And I think people okay. would take a lot from it. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about, Sarah, before we wrap up? Anything that you have coming out in the future? Anything you want to promote? Um. Well, I, I would like to, whatever my next chess vlog is going to be, I have to plan a tournament. But um, right now, if, if you if you go watch that video, my, my newest vlog um, of the the Denver Open, that would that would make me uh, that would make me pretty happy because there's also analysis videos that are going to come out on my games from that tournament. I know it's been taking me a while to get get to them, but um, I want to actually you know, analyze them correctly uh, before I, I try and talk about them. But yeah, just subscribing to my YouTube channel and following me on Twitch would mean a lot. Um, and I also do chess lessons, if that's something you're interested in. I mainly focus on, like, end games and, you know, that, that type of thing. But obviously, yeah. you know, whatever's best for the student. Yeah, and I think uh, people can get an idea of your teaching style from uh, looking at some of your analysis videos and your other videos on YouTube. Uh, on YouTube, you are, well, Seda Herman, but also at Zefcat, Z-E-F-C-A-T-T, for anyone trying to find you there. And on Twitch, you're, uh, you know, Zefcat there as well, right? Yeah, with two Ts. My Lee Chess username came first, so... And if people want to reach out to you uh, for coaching, where can they find you? Uh, you can email me. Uh, it's uh, sarah.herman.chess at gmail.com. Or you can contact me on Discord or maybe even on Twitch if you don't have 
either of those things. Great. All right. Well, thanks so much, Seda, for coming and talking to me. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was fun. It was. It was an absolute pleasure. I, uh, yeah, I think uh, people will take a lot from this one. Well, I'm glad. Hi, it's Yara here. For those of you new to Ono oh Another Chess podcast, I'm Ono's wife and I'm also the other half of the Ono Zone. So first of all, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And I hope you really enjoyed this interview with Sarah Herman. You can actually chat with her live in the next Zoom hangout that Ono will be hosting on Friday, November 17th. Uh, Ono will be there as well, plus a bunch of other adult improvers. So it'll be lots of fun. And you can sign up for free if you go to patreon.com slash the Zone and sign up for the seven day trial, then you'll get the Zoom link. If you're an adult improver and you just like an extra pair of eyes on your chest, or if you have any specific questions or if you're stuck, you can book a free trial lesson with Ono on the Onozone.com. Ono's a chess coach specialized in adult improvers and the first 60 minute chess lesson with him is absolutely free and he prepares it based on your recent games so it's all personalized to look at the things that are keeping you stuck specifically and how to overcome those personal improvement obstacles. So definitely check out the show notes for all of that. Uh, you can find all the info and links for stuff that was mentioned in the episode there, including the link to sign up for the free Zoom hangout on Friday the 17th of November with Sarah Herman. So thanks again for listening. Hope to see you there. And Ono will be back with another episode of Ono Another Chess Podcast in two weeks. And in the meantime, I wish you all the chess. <laughs>